Welcome to another exciting episode of The Coach's Corner. As always, I'm your host, Peter Sachuk, UHY's Career Development and Training Manager. This episode focuses on how to improve your overall emotional intelligence, or your EQ, and the five supporting components of EQ. I'll be there to provide some simple but powerful examples to help you get started on the journey to improving your emotional intelligence. To quote The Dark Knight, which is one of my favorite movies, and here we go. Before we jump into how to improve your emotional intelligence, let's take a few minutes to recap what we learned in the last episode. First, we learned that the definition of emotional intelligence, according to Daniel Goleman, is the ability to recognize your own emotions, understand what they're telling you, and realize how your emotions affect the people around you. Second, we learned that there are five key components of emotional intelligence. Self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Third, we learned that unlike your IQ and personality, which remain relatively fixed throughout your life, EQ is like a muscle. It can be learned, developed, and enhanced. Fourth, we learned that individuals with high emotional intelligence share several key traits, including being excellent problem solvers, an ability to set boundaries and not afraid to say no, an ability to get along with people in different situations, the ability to accept constructive criticism without making excuses or blaming others, and they understand their actions and behaviors. Finally, we learned that individuals with low emotional intelligence also share some key traits, including trouble being assertive or taking charge, not handling feedback particularly well, an inability to move past their mistakes, becoming judgmental, easily offended, and they have difficulty maintaining relationships, and they don't understand their emotions. If after last week's episode you walked away thinking, I think I have high emotional intelligence, how could I develop further? That's excellent. My challenge for you in this episode is to identify one to three things you believe could strengthen your high emotional intelligence and share those with your manager or group leader. If after last week's episode you walked away thinking, you know, I feel strong in some areas of EQ, but not as strong in others, that's perfectly acceptable as well. This episode is chock full of examples and suggestions you can try to improve any of the EQ areas with which you might be struggling. Now, depending on how much research you did before listening to this episode, you might have seen the numerous lists that identify anywhere from 5 to 50 suggestions to improve your emotional intelligence. This episode is not all-encompassing of those lists. Rather, I take the best suggestions from those lists and pick out the select few that I believe could have the strongest impact on your overall emotional intelligence. I'll also provide a real-life example that I've implemented in my day to strengthen that aspect of my emotional intelligence. To improve your overall emotional intelligence, you first want to practice observing how you feel. One of the easiest ways to do this is to set a timer to go off at various points of the day. Whenever the timer goes off, take a few deep breaths and check in with your emotions. Is there a particular emotion that you're feeling? Where is it showing up physically? What does the sensation feel like? Practicing this skill will soon become second nature, as you are able to recognize the feelings of negative emotions and how they affect your body. Another way to improve your overall emotional intelligence is to question your own opinions. With the advances in technology and social media, we often fall into what is known as an echo chamber. Inside the echo chamber, we are surrounded by like-minded individuals whose views on topics do not differ from ours. 
While this is emotionally rewarding, you may be ignoring the other side of a particular issue, so I encourage you to bring differing viewpoints into your conversations. This will help you understand other people and be more receptive to new or different ideas. Finally, don't forget to breathe. We will all experience some form of stress regularly. To help manage your emotions and avoid potential outbursts, I recommend you call a timeout and step away from whatever might be stressing you. If you need to put some cold water on your face, take a walk around the building, or make yourself an adult beverage, after work of course, do it. Anything you can do to give yourself a chance to understand what's happening and how you should respond. For example, there's been times where I've struggled to accept feedback objectively, so falling into one of those indicators of low emotional intelligence. Instead, I consider their feedback as a reflection of me versus the item, project, or task it was intended to. This creates added stress because I begin to doubt myself or my efforts. To counteract this, I found a simple walk around the building when it's not sub-zero here in Michigan, allows me to clear my mind and refocus my interpretation of the feedback I've received. This helps me realize that the feedback is truly not a reflection of me, but rather a reflection on the work itself and how we can make it the best possible. The first key component of emotional intelligence is self-awareness, which we learned is the ability to recognize and understand your own character, moods, and emotions and their effect on others. This includes a realistic self-assessment of what you're capable of and how others perceive you, which can help highlight areas for self-improvement, make you better at adapting to adverse situations, and limit wrong decisions. It's difficult to truly know yourself and look at yourself objectively, so I recommend getting input from those who know you best first. Where do they think your strengths and opportunities lie? Write down what they say, compare their responses, and identify any patterns. Then create a goal or plan to leverage your strengths or improve your opportunities. Remember not to argue with any of their responses. It's not that they are right, but rather they're trying to provide a different point of view. I also recommend identifying what motivates you. Everyone has some form of motivation whenever they begin a new project, task, engagement, audit, etc. The difficulty is maintaining this motivation when adversity strikes, and oftentimes projects, tasks, engagements, and so on may go unfinished or become delayed because of this lack of motivation. Perhaps it's the thought of a promotion or raise at the end of this upcoming busy season. Take time to understand and use that motivation to complete your projects, tasks, engagements, or returns at hand. Predicting how you feel before something happens is another great way to increase your emotional intelligence. Think about an upcoming situation in your life. Perhaps it's a meeting with a nervous client that their return won't be submitted in time. Or, Perhaps it's a meeting with your manager to discuss your most recent engagement. Rather than simply reacting to the situation, predict how you will feel going into it and name those feelings. For example, with the nervous client, you may feel frustrated or angry that they don't trust you. With your manager, perhaps you're feeling nervous or anxious. Naming these feelings puts you in control and allows you to choose an appropriate reaction or response to that feeling so you know best how to handle it. The situation for me is whenever I'm about to start a training session. No matter how many times I've reviewed the content, I always feel a tad nervous or anxious about my audience's reaction to it. Are they going to hate it? Are they going to pay attention? What will they think of me if I start stumbling over my words? So about 10 to 15 minutes prior to each training session, I react to my nerves and anxiety by just taking a few deep breaths. This helps instill just the right amount of confidence and focus I need to deliver a high-quality training session. 
Once you've come to terms with how your emotions work, you can then work on regulating those emotions. This means taking responsibility for your own behavior and avoiding emotional outbursts towards colleagues, clients, family members, or your manager. One key way to keep your emotions in check is to create and maintain a constant schedule. This is extremely important if you want to complete tasks effectively and on time. Instead of keeping a running list of tasks you must accomplish, block off time in your calendar to dedicate towards each task. As Paul Miners of Productivityist writes, when you schedule appointments in your calendar, you're saying to yourself, I'm going to do A, B, and C by X date, and it's going to take Y hours. Another way to help manage your emotions is to eat well. Now this may sound easy, but managing what you eat and drink can have a massive effect on your emotional state, so try to maintain a balanced diet. Also, thinking back to our discussion on workplace burnout, try to limit your alcohol and caffeine intake, as alcohol acts as a depressant, and too much coffee can cause nervousness, agitation, and changes in your mood. Finally, don't expect people to trust you if you can't trust them. Establishing trust with a person can be difficult, and once it's lost, it's almost impossible to regain it. Keep in mind that people are human and will make mistakes. By offering your trust, you are inviting others to offer their trust in return. This means being open and honest with those around you, no matter if the news is good or bad. One of the ways I manage my emotions is by leveraging my calendar. As we learned, calendar appointments create a commitment that you will complete something in a certain number of hours by a certain date. If you were to take a look at my calendar, you'll notice that only a handful are actual meetings. The rest are carefully placed time blocks with tasks that I need to accomplish that day, week, or month. During those times, I try to avoid any outside distractions to complete my task at hand, but that's easier said than done sometimes. When this happens, I simply find another time slot to dedicate towards the task and recommit myself to that task at that future time. Somewhat related to our earlier discussion around finding your motivation, self-motivation is a key aspect of emotional intelligence and refers to our inner drive to achieve and approve our commitment to our goals, our readiness to act on opportunities, and our overall optimism. One of the best ways to motivate yourself is to set specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound personal goals, otherwise known as SMART goals. These can help provide a long-term direction and short-term motivation. While almost all of us have already done this as part of the goal-setting process, it's important to revisit them and adjust as necessary. These goals should be based on your strengths and relevant to your interests. Above all, these goals should be exciting and achievable given the parameters that you set. Another way to self-motivate is to maintain a positive and optimistic mindset. Instead of seeing problems and setbacks as failings, try to see them as learning opportunities. Perhaps you messed up your most recent audit or return and your client called you to discuss it. Instead of thinking that you are better than that and shouldn't make that kind of error, think instead of what you can do to avoid this in the future. Also, avoid any negative people in your life that may drag you down. Surround yourself with positive, well-motivated people who will have a positive impact. Finally, and I cannot stress this enough, ask for help when you need it. I'm guilty of this myself at times by letting my pride get in the way of completing the task at hand. Reach out to those who can immediately help you and be sure to return the favor. Seeing other people succeed will only help to motivate yourself. To tie in that earlier discussion around accepting feedback objectively, that brief walk around the office that I take also has an immediate impact on my mindset. Instead of feeling like a failure and questioning my work ethic, 
I see the feedback as an opportunity to learn more about the individual providing it. Where are they coming from with this feedback? Why did they suggest this change? What can I learn about this individual and their position from this feedback? The answers to these questions are far more motivating than thinking I failed or lacked the skills to do my job. The next emotional intelligence skill is the ability to feel empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand people's emotions and that everyone has their own sets of feelings, desires, triggers, and fears. Being empathetic means that you're allowing their experiences to resonate with your own in order to respond in an emotionally intelligent way. The primary way to be more empathetic is to simply listen. As Stephen Covey said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand, then to be understood. This involves letting others talk without interruption, preconceptions, or skepticism and putting your own issues on pause. This encourages you to absorb their situation and consider how they're feeling before you react. As you listen, practice active listening to show that you're hearing them and processing what they're saying. Another way to be more empathetic is to consider others' perspectives. The next time an issue or situation arises, try switching places with the other person figuratively, of course, and think about what's happening from their point of view. Perhaps that situation is a fellow colleague asking you for help, even though you're swamped with all your work. From your perspective, taking time out of your day to help your colleague may put you behind schedule. However, if you think about it from your colleague's perspective, maybe they haven't encountered this situation before and, knowing that you have, are coming to you for insight. There is no right or wrong approach, but at least you'll understand enough to help or provide some useful advice. One of the quickest ways to show empathy is to listen to someone's experiences and connect it with a similar experience of your own. Perhaps that same colleague from before pulls you aside and explains it's their first year as an accountant and they're struggling with the sheer amount of returns and time frame required to complete them. Instead of shrugging them off, you decide to share your experiences as a first-year accountant yourself and how you got through it. Don't be afraid to open up. It might just be the start of a great and lasting friendship. I am a big proponent of seeking first to understand, then to be understood. As a trainer, this has helped immensely in my professional career. Instead of telling my client what I think they need in gaining their agreement, I allow them to speak first and just simply take notes. Through this process, I can start to identify solutions or approaches that have worked or could possibly work in this situation. Then, once they're done sharing, I can chime in with my thoughts based on their responses. This shows that I understood their situation and am now shifting to gaining agreement on a proposed solution. The final component of improving your emotional intelligence is improving your social skills. Social skills refer to those skills needed to handle and influence other people's emotions effectively, including communication, conflict management, meeting new people, and building relationships. This is the most complex and requires us to use all other components of EQ and then some. The first way to improve your social skills is to focus on one skill you'd like to develop. Let's say you want to improve your face-to-face -face communication so that your conversations with clients go smoother. Then, identify someone you know that is an excellent face-to-face -face communicator. Observe how they act and how they control their emotions, and then try to implement it yourself. You could go further and ask this person how they handle those client conversations effectively. They may be able to give some additional insight. Another way to improve your social skills is to go cold turkey to social media. Apps like Facebook and Twitter provide an excuse to not communicate in person. Instead of instant messaging a friend or colleague about their day, suggest an in-person alternative, such as a cup of coffee or adult drink at the local bar. Post-COVID, that is.
emotional intelligence cannot expand within the confines of social media. Finally, and I also cannot stress this enough, it's not about what you say, but how you say it. Did you know that when it comes to communicating a message, only 7% of the message are the words you use, and the other 93% are the tone you take and the body language you demonstrate? The more you are able to hear a person's tone and see their body language, the more emotionally intelligent you can become, and the easier it can be to build a relationship with that person. I also am a huge proponent of hearing tone and body language from other people. For example, when I receive an email or message from someone that I believe is negative or a little bit condescending, I often follow up with that person via an in-person meeting or phone call. In either medium, I can hear the tone of voice they're using and or see their nonverbal cues to truly determine if the email was truly negative or condescending. Without this follow-up, I would be left to dwell on my thoughts and possibly misinterpret a harmless message. Never rely on words alone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Coach's Corner. I hope you enjoyed both of our episodes on emotional intelligence and have started to identify some strategies you can implement in your daily activities to improve or strengthen your EQ. The sources for today's episode are in the episode's description if you're listening on a mobile device and the Coach's Corner folder on the National Drive if you're listening on your computer. The next episode will focus on virtual communication fatigue, also known as Zoom fatigue. We'll talk about what it is, how it happens, and what we can do to combat it. See you next time.